0: Well, good morning, church. I always have to take one of those deep breaths after worship. It's just one of those. (sighs) Well, let me ask you something. I don't know if you ever have people say these two words to you, but when maybe you tell a great story, you say, hey, this is what happened in my life. And um, somebody looks at you and they're like, prove it. You ever have those two words thrown at you? Oh, prove it. Or maybe for some of you that play uh, basketball and you play the game of horse, I did this with my brothers growing up, we played horse, and in the winter, if you make that shot and you're the winner, you have to prove it, you have to shoot that shot again to prove that you're the winner, right? You follow what I'm saying? It seems like we always got to prove something, right? we we'll prove it. And you know, here's the problem with that. It seems like we always have to prove it, prove it, prove it, so when we actually hear truth, we don't have to prove it because it's already true. But because we've been told so many times, prove it, prove it, prove it, we start to doubt ourselves when we hear something that's true. Follow me on this one? It happened to Jesus all the time. He was a great teacher. He was a great miracle worker. But yet people still came to him and said, prove it. Different scriptures, Matthew 12, 38, Matthew 16, 1, Pharisees, Sadducees, people came to him and they're like, well, if you are the son of God, give us a miraculous sign. Prove it, right? More scripture, Mark chapter 2, verse 10, Luke eleven sixteen. Jesus even said this, because he goes, Hey, you know what? You keep asking me to prove it. I will prove to you that I am the Son of Man, and I have, I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. And he looked at this man that was paralyzed, laying on a mat, and he said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And he proved it, right? He was always being demanded, prove it, prove it, and he would prove it, right? Well, today, we're coming to a story in the book of John Yes, we're back in John, by the way. For those of you visiting, um, we started to study through the book of John. and It's taken us a long time. I'm trying to take my time through this. We took a break in December. We're back in the book of John. And in this story, it's going to be one of those moments, I'm telling you right now, you've heard this story multiple times. You've maybe heard it preached, shared before, and yet for some reason, we still feel like even after hearing this story, we still have to say, oh, prove it that you're Jesus. Go ahead and prove it. You know. So we're going to, Look at this story. We're going to hear it from different angles over the next week or two. Um, and and today, as we dig into John chapter 11, I pray that when we get done today, you're not going to have to walk around saying prove it anymore. Okay. So grab your Bibles. If you need a Bible, we have some in the back. We can bring one to you if you need. Just raise your hand. We're going to start in verse one. John chapter 11, verse one. Let's read. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. And her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So we got the setting for the story along with a little conversation that's going on here. We've got Lazarus who's in a very sick condition. Please understand that in biblical times if you are very sick, you're on the verge of death. Uh, The medical... The doctoral situation that we have today, obviously didn't have that. Today, if we had any of these sicknesses, these illnesses that maybe they had, we could maybe have a doctor that could be able to diagnose it and give us some medicine, be able to cure it, and we'd be able to go on. This time of ancient history, they didn't have that. So he was very sick. So everybody knows, like, this is not a good sick. Okay. We have another character, Mary, and she's referred to the one who poured the perfume over Jesus, a very expensive perfume. We might talk about that later. And we have Martha. Martha's not really described much in here, but we'll hear more about her in a little bit. But we have those three. And then we know this takes place in Bethany, which is not far from Jerusalem. This is actually where Jesus is at at this moment, okay? So for three years, popularity about Jesus has been growing. He has been doing all kinds of things. He's not just an intriguing man, but he's a great teacher. People hear him teach and say things like they've never heard before. They watch him do things that like nobody's ever done before. Who takes a handful of food and miraculously is able to multiply and feed 5,000? Who can walk on water? Nobody can walk on water. Jesus did. Oh, and then he starts healing people and curing sicknesses, lame, the blind. He even brought a little girl back to life. And it's like, what? Who does this? Right? Nothing short of amazing, Right? And so you sit there and think about this. Mary and Martha are sitting there. Lazarus is sick. Let's get Jesus. Why not? Look at his reputation, what he's built over those last three years. But that's not the only reason they sent for Lazarus. You have to understand this. They were, or for Jesus, they were good friends with Jesus. See, when Jesus was in town, he would stay with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He would eat at their house. He would hang out with them. They'd have these conversations that maybe went into the late night hours, right? And so they were friends. So it's like, let's get our friend who is also, yes, a miracle worker. So Jesus was invited to come. And here's the thing. Either Jesus is going to show up and he's going to heal Lazarus or he's going to be attending the funeral of Lazarus. It's it's one of the two. It's one of the two. The hope was, obviously, that he would arrive in time and heal Lazarus. But the question is, which one's going to show up first? Jesus or death? Look at verse 4 with me. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although, this is important, listen, Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He stayed there for the next two days. See, when Jesus hears about Lazarus, he's like, yeah, he's really sick. Now remember, Jesus is the Son of God. He knows all things. So he knows the outcome, right? He's like, oh, he's sick and there's, Disciples that are around him like, yeah, he's really sick. This isn't good. And Jesus like, okay, we're going to stick around here a couple more days. And they're probably thinking, mm, not making sense, right? I mean, his first statement is, this will not end in death. What do, you, what do you mean it won't end in death? Jesus, the way you talk is so different than everybody else. Is he insensitive or does he just know more to what's going on in life? See, either Jesus' view of death is different than ours or he's wrong one of the two right and here's what i believe i believe jesus sees things differently than we do he you know we see things like one dimensionally right jesus sees it in multi-dimensions what we see physically jesus sees spiritually he sees eternally he sees also uh, a, a side of things that maybe we would never calculate and understand because he can see the past the present and the future we can only see what's right here we can't see what's coming now think about this. While all that's going on back in Bethany, Lazarus is laying there in his in his bed, incredibly sick, very frail, very weak. His sisters were doing all they could to care for him. Some of you have been in this position before. Uh, maybe you've had a loved one who's had uh, had to go through hospice or in a situation in, in a hospital or home, and you're like, you're doing everything you can. There's only so much you can do. Been there, done that, right? And in that moment, you feel helpless. It's like, what else can I do, right? And the neighbors outside are just wondering, like, okay, we know Lazarus is sick. And, um, boy, is there anything we can do? We really can't do much. We can maybe bring some food over. And and we just sort of keep looking out our windows and checking on the house and seeing what's going on. And, And the neighbors are wondering. People or friends are wondering, right? And meanwhile, maybe Mary and Martha step out of the house. And they look down the road like, ah, Jesus coming. No, I don't see him. And then there's like, is he ever going to show up? And there's all kinds of stuff going on, happens, but then it does happen. The last breath. And Mary and Martha emerge from the house probably in tears. And the neighbors look out and realize it's time. And the funeral plans begin. And they start to prepare now to bury the body of Lazarus. Meanwhile, miles away, We look at verse 7, and and Jesus is like, hey, hey, let's go back now. Let's go back to Judea, right? He tells the disciples, it's time to go back and see Lazarus. And Lazarus has already died, right? Jesus knows that, and he says, I'm going to go wake him up. Now, the disciples do not know what's going on. And we know what's going on because we have the story. And we're able to say in this moment, isn't this a little too late, Jesus? I mean, and if the disciples were aware of what's going on, aren't they saying... Isn't this a little too late, Jesus? Obviously, Mary and Martha are already saying it, right? But again, they don't know what we know. Look at verse 8 with me. But his disciples objected. Hey, Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Verse 9, Jesus replies, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world, but at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now go and wake him up. And they're like, "Uh, That made no sense. You said we're going to go wake up Lazarus. We're going to go back. We're going to go back to this place where people tried to kill us. Do you remember? We go back to John chapter 10 and the dedication of the feast and Hanukkah and that's when the religious leaders picked up stones and they were going to kill them, right? And and the disciples are like, um, we just asked you, do you want to go back there where they're going to stone us? And then you give us this light and darkness story. We don't really follow you on that one. There's 12 hours of light during the day. We get, and it's dark. And when it's dark, we need light. We get that, Jesus. We know, if we don't have light, we're going to stumble over things. We're going to kick things. We're going to step on things. Jesus is making this point. Listen, when it's dark, it gets scary, doesn't it? We fear things. Have you ever driven down the road at night, in the middle of the night, and your car lights don't work? Or it's like, oh, you know, and you pop them on, okay. Or you're in the darkness at home, and you turn the lights so you don't stub your toe. Darkness gets scary. Halloween time, you guys don't like darkness, do you? Because we watch scary movies, right? We don't like darkness. Darkness is scary. It's fearful. It's anxiety, right? And then when Jesus like, hey, when it's dark, it's dangerous out there, isn't it? And what he's pointing to is this. Lazarus is dead, He's in darkness right now. Oh, by the way, if, if you've ever been inside a coffin buried six feet under, which none of us have, I hope and pray, right? Otherwise, you're a walking miracle, okay? Here's the thing. It's dark. And Jesus is like, he needs the light of the world. Jesus is like, I, I'm, I'm that light, right? And he's sort of bringing us out and they don't, they're, not, they're sort of stumbling all over this thing. I'm not sure what you're getting at here, Jesus. And basically, here's another thing. When When you we dead back, back then. If, if, you were, um, if you were to touch a dead body or be around a person who was dead, you were considered unclean, which means you couldn't go to the temple and worship. At least for seven days, you had to go through a cleaning process, okay? So basically, if you were in come in contact with death, you're separated from God. Does that make sense? So Lazarus, who is dead, is separated from God right now. So again, Jesus is like, it's time for the light to come to get rid of this darkness, which is death. So this is sort of what Jesus is getting at. There's a lot of meaning behind this, and there's more to it, and I'm just sort of scraping the surface on that one. So let's move on, verse 12. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he'll soon get better, right? Wishful thinking. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you'll really believe. Come on, let's go see him. And Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, hey, let's go too, let's all die with Jesus. Which again, if you're reading this and you're sitting there thinking, was he being sarcastic or is he just that foolish? I mean, what's going on with Thomas? Like, or did Jesus give such an inspiring speech? Yeah, let's all go and die. Jesus like, ah, Thomas, that would be something that Peter would say, not you, right? But don't miss what got left in these verses here, Okay. Jesus said, I'm glad I wasn't there. And a lot of us sort of freak out. We're like, what do you mean you're glad you weren't there? Isn't that sort of insensitive? But watch that next phrase here, okay? Jesus said, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Because he's looking at his disciples and saying, you guys are obviously, believe me, because you're my disciples. You walk around with me. You listen to my team. You believe me. But you know what? I'm glad I wasn't there. Because now you're really going to believe. In other words, there's probably still some doubt going on with the disciples. Just as us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ as Christians, there's times we doubt. And sometimes God says, you know what? You still have some doubt in you. I'm glad you're about ready to go through this because now you're really going to believe after this one. What kind of lesson is this going to be now, right? I mean, I'm sitting there thinking this is, again, Jesus just thinks different, right? And it's Sort of appears now that this sounds like a faith lesson. Oh. Another lesson, Jesus. Great. Another faith lesson. Is that what this is all about? So that we will believe? But at what cost? I mean, this from this story, the cost is pretty high. The lesson would be this death is going to rob you of all joy and comfort. This is the life lesson. Are you ready for this? You ready to go? Are you ready to learn this lesson, church? First of all, you have to experience death, and you're going to be robbed of joy and comfort. And there are going to be moments of pain when you're going to watch a loved one struggle and you are going to lose sleep. You are going to be anxious. You are going to have all kinds of ugly feelings. And this is going to be a good life lesson. Not many of us like those, right? Tears of sorrow, wrapping your loved one in grave clothes, saying goodbye at the graveyard. That's a lesson in faith? Come on, Jesus, really? See, those four days of waiting... Allowed the emotions of pain and sorrow and discomfort and anger to sort of marinate in a pot of doubt. And I'd be sitting there saying, Hey, no, thanks for that deep dish of faith casserole. Don't want it. Okay? I'd rather not taste it. But then again, who knows better? Us or God? When it comes to life lessons and faith lessons, who knows better? Well, Let's look at verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for 4 days. Bethany is only a few miles from the road or down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. Now, again, Jesus makes this short trip. This is the 4th day after the death of Lazarus, so he's been in the tomb for 3 days. Oh, I saw those 3-day situations in the Bible, there's a lot of them, and a very important one, right? Verse 20, it says, When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said he will rise when everyone else rises on the last days, right? Jesus told her, "Mm, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Uh, Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world from God. Here's the thing. Martha hears that Jesus is returned, right? So she runs out to meet him. Mary stays back, Right? And she has this big pot of doubt brewing still, right? And she meets with Jesus. And it's not just a statement of faith, but there's some pain in that statement too and some doubt in that, in that statement. She goes, Lord, if you only would have been here, my brother would not have died. So there's faith in that, but there's also that doubt like, where were you? She knows he could heal him, right? She had faith. Here's the thing, death is cruel. It just takes it. It steals our joy. It's never invited into our life, right? It never, can I come in? Oh, death is at the door. No, not today. All right, see you later. No, death just intrudes. It barges in when we don't want it. She couldn't stop it. Her sister couldn't stop it. Lazarus couldn't stop it. Medicine wouldn't do the trick. Death was here, and here's the thing. Jesus had a plan. Jesus says, here's my plan. I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even after dying, Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And she says, I agree to that, but I don't understand it. Here's the thing. Jesus came to do something more than pay respect. He came to pay the price of death. We read in the Bible, it says that there are consequences for our sin. There are wages to be paid for our sin. When we mess up, when we screw up, there's a consequence. Who's going to pay for it? We can't. We can never do enough good things in life. Oh, I got baptized. Oh, I I'm I'm uh, let's see. Oh, I took communion once. Um, oh, I go to church. I do good things. That doesn't pay for your sins. I put money in offering. Does that pay for it? That does not pay for your sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus, I've come to pay the price. I've come to pay the price. Here's the question. Knowing that. Knowing what's going on in the story, do you still doubt? Do you still question? Do you ever wonder how? How can I get through this? You ever doubt what's going on in your life? Some oh, here's another faith lesson. I've had people say to me sometimes, hey Rex, you must be doing something right because you're getting spiritually attacked right now, right? You ever had that said to you? I'm sure, you know, maybe people have said that. God must be working on you. He must be teaching you something because you're going through a lot of struggles right now. Here's the deal. I've had enough faith lessons in life, okay? Anybody else got an amen on that one, okay? Anybody else here is like, I've had enough life lessons. I'm good to go. Thank you, God. I'm good with you. No more struggles, please, right? right. But what if something greater is coming and it's going to require us to be stronger and to be stronger? We need to go through a few more lessons in life so that we're prepared for when that really big thing comes. You know, God's like that coach who says, I know what you're going to face in your opponent. So I'm going to prepare you. Might be a couple of life lessons you're just not going to like. Do you know Ariyama, I messed up his name, a head coach for the University of Connecticut girls basketball coach. Incredible coach, right? I was reading about him a few times about what he does, and he says he basically makes his practices infinitely 10 times harder than any game that the girls will ever in. Why is that? So that when they get to the game, they can handle the game with no problem. I'm going to do everything I can to prepare you. So I'm going to make this really difficult for you so that when the time comes for you to face your opponent, you'll be victorious. Do you ever wonder if God does that with us? Oh, I've got some life lessons for you. I know you're not going to like it. But trust me, I'm preparing you for something that's coming your way. And what if those life lessons we're facing is maybe something to say... I've got this going on in your life right now because somebody else is going to struggle with it and you're going to be my hands and my feet for that person. Oh, you you made it through that life lesson, but that person may not. And they don't know me, but they're going to come to you. Why do I often tell teenagers, stand strong for your faith in school? Do not give up in living for your faith and for Jesus Christ in your school. Why is that? Because you may be made fun of. You may be harassed because you love Jesus and you go to church, okay? I get that, okay? But here's the thing. Somewhere down the road, one of those other students that made fun of you is probably going to be coming to you and saying, I've got some stuff going on in my life right now, and you seem to have it all together, or you seem to be at peace, and they're going to come to you. Are you ready to stand strong for that? Let's look at verse... 28 she returned to mary she called mary aside from the mourners and told her the teachers here wants to see you so mary immediately went to him and jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where martha had met him and when the people who were at the house consoling mary saw her leave so hastily they assumed she was going to lazarus grave to weep so they followed her and when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Oh, we hear that again, right? <laughs> I think we've heard that sort of before. She now comes to Jesus, but she's got a procession of people behind her that, with Mary. She falls at the feet of Jesus, not what Martha did. Mary gets to the feet of Jesus, and she has a little bit stronger uh, faith here in what she says. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and saw the other people wailing, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. See, others took notice of the relationship of Jesus and this family, and they're like, man, they were close. Look at Jesus. He's getting all weepy. Some marveled at his emotions. They're like, this is so honorable. And others like probably made fun of him. That's what happened to Jesus. There's always mixed reaction to Jesus, and you will get it too. This past week, they had an event called Passion 2020 down in Atlanta, Georgia, and over 65,000 college students around that age gathered uh, at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium to worship. That's all they did, starting on New Year's Eve, then through New Year's Day, and into the morning of the January 2nd. 65,000 young people just worshiping, and praising God, singing, listening to different speakers. While many people were getting plastered, these 65,000 were choosing to praise God. And while some chose to get drunk with alcohol, they chose to get doused with the Holy Spirit. It was an amazing thing. And one of my sons and his uh, teammates from college went to this and, and i just listening to his story and what was going on. And he said, Dad, he told me, he said, when we showed up that first night, there was actually protesters outside the stadium. People out there protesting that young people would go worship god are you kidding me see there's always mixed reaction to your worship to jesus some people will praise like go do it you know and other people like you shouldn't be praising god you shouldn't be worshiping in there you shouldn't be singing these songs to jesus are you kidding me this world will always find a way to be negative towards the light of the world they will always curse the light Some will look at a distance and they will make their judgments. And here's the thing, church. You can't do anything about it, so stop worrying about it. It doesn't matter what critics say. It's what you're going to do about it. They're going to to critique you whether you praise God or not. So I say, let's praise God. Let's worship Him. Verse 34 goes on to say, where have you put Him? Jesus asked them this question. And they told Him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. He cried. It was like the word the Greek word here is like a horse snorting. It's like a charging rearing horse. This was an emotional burst. It wasn't like a I shed a tear from my friend Lazarus. This was a powerful weeping. See, God cares about us, and he cares about what we care about, and he hurts just like we hurt. And the people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. And some said this man healed the blind. Couldn't he keep Lazarus from dying? Oh yeah, he could have. Verse 38. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone was rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, he told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. But the command's been given. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside, and then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I'm saying it out loud right now for the sake of all the people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Oh, it wasn't a whisper. And the dead man came out, and his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. So so let's uh, sort of see how this goes down. Stone is rolled away by others. Jesus prays so that everybody can hear what's going on and that they understand he's got a relationship with the God of this universe. And then he shouts, Lazarus, come out. And then Lazarus rises from the dead. He's been in there four days. He appears. He's still got the grave clothes around him. And Jesus commands those, hey, go, go strip those grave clothes off him. He's alive. How's that for a wow factor of a story in the Bible, Right? This is a beautiful, incredible story. And the thing is, what do we learn out of this, right? Here's, Here's my challenge out of all this, okay? My question to you is, do you believe it? Do you believe that story? See, we believe here at this church that the Bible is an inerrant word of God. This is truth right here. And this is where we find this story. Everything about it is true. And in that story... We can choose to believe whether that was real or not. Here's the thing. Every single person that was at the graveyard that day, they were eyewitnesses to what just happened. Think about that. Not one person could excuse it. I, I, I was probably just sleepy. Um, um, I, was, I was, I don't know. I, maybe I ate something wrong. Maybe I don't know. No. Everyone that was at that graveyard... At that tomb that day, they were eyewitnesses to what just happened. What are you going to do with that truth? What does that do in your life? What's your choice? So as people now, a couple thousand years later, reading this story, we have to answer that same question. Do you believe it? And here's a cool thing. You get the answer however you want. See, so you can choose to say yes or no to this. Yes, I believe it, or no, I don't believe it. But I want you to understand, listen carefully, there are consequences for your choice. So every day we make choices. Every day and every choice has a consequence. There's a huge consequence for this choice. If you say no, that's your choice, but please listen to me. If you choose to say, no, I don't believe this, then understand this. If you reject this and you reject God's word and you reject the truth, then you reject eternal life. And someday you will die, we will all die. And you'll be buried and your body will rot and you'll spend eternity in hell. That's plain and clear. It's not a threat. It's not a, I'm trying to convince you of anything. That's truth, that's what we believe. If you believe, yes, I believe that story, I believe God's word. I believe it to be true. I believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And I believe and I've confessed with my sins that I've messed up to a holy God. And I've asked him to forgive me. He forgives me. I believe that. Then he saves you. If you say, yes, I believe that, then here's the next thing. You also have two choices. You can do nothing or you can do something. Because here's the thing. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians and they do nothing. I believe the story, and that's it. How can you believe a story about a person brought back to life and do nothing? I'm sorry. If you're doing nothing, then I'm thinking maybe you really don't believe the story. But if you really believe the story, you will do something. It will empower you. It will challenge you. Martha and uh, Mary, they went to Jesus, and they were like, hey, keep Lazarus from dying, right? We, see, they wanted something out of this. We all want something in life. We want to be freed from sickness and death, right? We want to avoid pain. We want to have no bills. We want to meet Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. You know what I'm saying? There's always something we're searching for, we're seeking. It's like, this is what I, this is what I want, this is what I need, right? But what is it that we really need? What is it that we really need? The children of Israel, when Moses had them and they were, they were put in slavery in Egypt and he frees them, right? What did they want? They wanted freedom. They'd been shackled up. They wanted freedom. They got their freedom. They get out in the desert. What do they want? We want something to eat. We want something to drink. Oh, you need something else again, right? Hey, Moses, we need you to be a great leader. Hey, Joshua, we need you to be a great commander. See, we always need something. We always need something, right? They wanted relief from the desert. They wanted plush living. Like, come on, Moses. But here's the thing. Only God can deliver. Only God can really give us what we need. And when Lazarus was raised from the dead, it wasn't just about escaping darkness and death. Listen, church. When Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead, it wasn't just like, hey, I'm just going to get you out of darkness. I'm just not going to get you out of those tight-bound grave clothes that are on you. When the children of Israel left Egypt, it wasn't about escaping slavery. They had a promise from God to leave an old life and to start a new life. And we don't just leave our sin to live another new sinful moment. You don't leave one toxic relationship to run into another toxic relationship. You don't escape one sinful habit to indulge yourself in another sinful habit. See, we are rescued from sin. We're rescued from slavery to live a new life, a life of hope, a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of victory. Lazarus was rescued from death. Why? To die again? No, to live. What are you depending on? What lives and comforts? I mean, it's like, well, I'm lacking this, I'm lacking that. Well, so what is it that you really need? Really need deep down in here. Um, Why does the church exist? Does this church exist to have a food program to give food to people that need it? To give money to people at Christmas? To support missionaries? Uh, Why does the church exist? To entertain you? Are you not entertained by this morning's message, right? To be wowed by the musicians that are in here? To be, what is it? Why, why is the church here? I'll tell you why. Because we need to know who God is and we need a place to worship God. When you come to a place like this, I hope you understand this, we want you to know who God is, a God who loves you and rescues you. And we want you to worship God here. That's what we need. That's why we exist as a church. It's our choice now to love him back, to worship him. Listen, people don't need heroes; they they need a savior. We have fictional walls who are fictional heroes that can climb walls, and they can fly, they can dodge bullets, right? And they can crush your enemies. But I'm telling you, there's there's no superheroes out there that can raise anybody from the dead. Not even a Jedi. Sorry, Skywalkers. Okay, some of you like them. I get it. There are no eyewitnesses to Jedi's. Bringing people back to life, or Superman uh, coming—those are great stories. Okay, this is reality. Jesus brought somebody back from the dead, and it changed everything. It changed everything. Martha was changed. I'm I'm, going to zip through this as I as I wrap this up. Martha was in Luke Luke chapter 10: 38. There's a story where Martha. and Mary and Lazarus and Jesus are all in the same house together. And uh, Jesus in, in, invited, uh, was invited in. Jesus is sitting there and um, talking, and teaching. And Mary's at the feet of Jesus. Martha is serving away. She's cooking and getting crazy and all this kind of stuff. She's like, oh, well, how come Mary isn't helping? And she's getting all mad at Mary, right? She's getting all steamed. She comes in and she's like, hey, Jesus, why don't you tell Mary to come help me? And she's all like miffed, okay? She's like, somebody should be helping me out right now. Then there's another story found in John chapter 12, which takes place after Lazarus is resurrected from the dead. And it's the same situation. People are over at their house again. They're all eating. Martha is in there in the kitchen again. This time she's doing it with joy. She's like, oh, what an honor. What a privilege to serve everybody. My brother's alive, Jesus. You know, there's a change of attitude in Martha because the resurrection of Jesus, working through the resurrection of Lazarus. Lazarus was changed, obviously, right? If He's alive now, right? But here's the thing. Before Lazarus died, you never hear anything about Lazarus. No great motivational speeches, no talks, no messages, right? But after Lazarus comes back from the dead, it says that he was in that house, that the religious leaders were now plotting to kill Lazarus. Why? Because they couldn't shut him up. He had become a new central figure to tell people about the power of Jesus Christ, See, because he was now resurrected, he has that resurrected power living in him, he can't stop talking about Jesus. He has changed. And then there's Mary. Mary was changed. Every time we read about Mary in the Bible, she's at the feet of Jesus. That first story that I mentioned with Martha, she's at the feet of Jesus listening, right? And then when she comes running to Jesus to say, why didn't you save my brother? Where did she go? Boom, right to the feet of Jesus, bowing down again. And then we find her again in the next story. At that house, John chapter 12, this time she takes this this incredible uh, container of her most expensive perfume. Matter of fact, it says it was worth a year's worth of wages. So calculate your year's worth of wages and put that into a perfume, okay? And then break it open and just dump it all over Jesus. Everything you've got. Did we not just sing, I surrender all? She surrendered it all every drop onto Jesus. She took her hair and she wiped the feet of Jesus and that perfume just got into her hair and as she went around the house. All you can smell is Jesus, right? She was changed. What an incredible moment. Church, listen. Do you really believe this? If you do, if you do, you should be different. You should be different. I'm going to read this last scripture. It's from Ephesians chapter 2. It says this Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in our hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires, and inclinations of the sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. In fact, but God is so rich in mercy because he loved us so much. That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. We were once dead. We were once like Lazarus in a tomb. But because of the grace of God and his love for us, and because we've confessed our sins to holy God, he has resurrected us spiritually now. We have a new hope. We have a new life. Listen, church, you you are in the the tomb right now, one foot in, one foot out, saying, this is my life as a Christian. I'm going to say, get out. Step out of the tomb, would you? You're new in Christ. You have his spirit in you. You are alive. Quit walking around in grave clothes. He's made you alive. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Some of us still may have one foot in the world and one foot in the grave. I don't know if you identify yourself with the one who performed it or who Lazarus was, but I'm going to challenge you and encourage you this morning believe it. And if you believe it, do something about it. You can be like a Martha, and it's like, you know what? I'm going to serve, and I'm going to stop whining about serving. I'm going to whine with a thankful heart. Oh, that doesn't make sense, does it? You can't. You're either going to whine or not. God, help me stop whining. Help me have a thankful heart. I want a thankful heart. I want to serve so much, and I don't want to complain about it anymore. Be like Mary. Just learn to get at the feet of Jesus and worship him. It's like, you know what? I know I probably should, or I could watch this, or I could go to, do I so just take some time out and just worship at the feet of Jesus? Let his life change. Do something with that new life. Or be like Lazarus. You know what? Some of you have incredible testimonies in here. You really do. God took you and changed you. You need to be sharing that with more people more often. And when you experience something great, you go to a conference, you, you heard a sermon, you, you listen to a song, and he's like, man, I need to share that with somebody. Go share it with them. Do something with that. You have Christ's spirit living in you. Live that resurrected life. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome and incredible God you are. God, when I think about this story and what took place, I'm sure many of us have these moments when we feel like Mary Martha and wonder, like, when are you going to show up? and you were already showing up and you were preparing something big. And God, we even just sang in that song, Waymaker, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. God, there's times in our lives when we feel or we don't see you working and we're wondering, are you still working? It's like, you are. Mary and Martha were probably sitting there thinking, is Jesus coming or not? And Jesus is sitting there going, I've not stopped working. I'm coming. I never stop working. Even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, I'm still working. And maybe there's somebody in here right now, that's you. You don't feel like God's doing anything in your life. You don't feel like God is responding to your prayers. You're like, are you going to show up or not? And Jesus like, "Mm, I already did once, I'll do it again. Because I'm a faithful God. And now we know that Jesus Christ is, with the heavenly father and someday jesus christ is going to return but until he returns he's given us His spirit and the spirit is at work in those who have given their life to jesus christ for those who have placed their faith in him and that spirit is alive in us right now and we need to get out of the grave we need to take off the grave clothes and we need to start living victoriously with the work of the spirit shining through us so God, if we're feeling a certain way this morning, God, help us to surrender those feelings to you. Speak truth to us. Help us, Lord, to proclaim it. Say, I believe. I believe. I believe. I say, I believe, and I believe, I believe, I believe. And because I believe, I'm going to do something. I'm going to stop sitting around as a Christian and whining and complaining, worried about tomorrow. Oh, the government. Oh, this world affair. Oh, a shooting in church. Oh, war in Iran. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. God, you're still on the throne, and I believe that. And I trust you through every situation. I do not want to live a fearful life of what may be, because I already believe in a God who is. Thank you, God, for being that mighty God. Lord, we sing to you now. In my name we pray, amen.